Good morning. For those of you who don't already know me, my name's Hannah. And you probably noticed that I sometimes play my cello in Ryan's band in the morning. This morning, I'd like to talk to you about how we are the children of God, how he has adopted us into his family, uh, our identities in Christ, and how we should put this into action. In the children's group, we sometimes play a quick game called Bible Quick Draw. And the aim is to be the first person to find the Bible verse. Now, no cheating with your phones. And I've got a few uh, hardback uh, nor Bibles here if people need. Um, so we're going to try this now, and we're going to find one of the most famous Bible verses. So does anybody need a Bible? Yeah. Do you want to... <laughs> Okay, so you need to start with your Bible under your arm so you can't cheat. (laughs) Right. Who's going to be the first person who can find John 3, 16 to 17? Go. Found it? Would you like to read it out by bringing the microphone? John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So in this Bible verse it shows that God was under no obligation to do anything for us. He didn't owe us anything. And therefore, it was purely out of love that he made the ultimate sacrifice on the cross in order to restore our relationship with him. And this sacrifice was Jesus, the Son of God, who lived the life among us before he died on the cross in our place, rising up again so that he and to forgive us our sins, and he's coming back one day. And this sacrifice is for everybody who believes in him. You, me, his children. Isn't it absolutely amazing to think that if you were the only person on this earth, God would have still paid the same price for you because he loves you. You are his children. You are the heirs to the throne of heaven. And just like the heavenly father who he is, He sacrificed himself for the love of his children. In Galatians 4, 4 4-7, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. In this Bible passage, the Greek term for adoption is a legal term, 
referring to the full legal standing of a male heir in Roman culture. So this means that God has not just said that we are his children, but that he has fully, completely, utterly adopted us, having sacrificed everything on the cross so that we might be saved. That is the love of God. Parents, how many times have you told your young children to accept your help? And how many times have they decided to do it in their own way, by themselves? My little sister's first phrase was, all by own, mummy. And how many times has it ended up with something being damaged or broken and somebody upset? And in much the same way, as the children of God, we need him to help us. Because if we try to do things all by own, it doesn't normally go very well. We must trust him. Because children, how many times have your parents known best? An adult and children of God? How many times has God known best? Every single time. <laughs> there are times when we're standing overwhelmed in the middle of a struggle and we think that we can resolve the problem. However, we only see it from our own perspective, and God can see the bigger picture. Also, when we're worshipping God, we should do so like the children who he calls us to be. God loves his children, and he'll never send them away from him. In Matthew 19, uh, 19, verse 13 to 15, it says, Then children were brought to him, that he may lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. So what does worshipping God like a child look like in action? It's important to distinguish childlike from childish. Childish means to act in an immature manner. However, childlike means to worship God with a heart full of joy, instead of being distracted by our everyday problems. And you know, we can also have a lot of fun while being childlike. Because I mean, who wouldn't get excited if I brought out, say, a bag of strawberry laces and asked for some people to come up and do a strawberry laces lace? Uh, Laces race? <laughs> Do we have any volunteers? Hi, for those who don't know me, I'm Megan. Hi, Megan. And I sometimes lead Ignite Infants upstairs. A couple of weeks ago, I had a GCSE mock exam. The night before, I was getting stressed and anxious about it, which was, as we've just heard from Hannah, because I was relying on myself. By trusting in my own ability, I didn't trust God and made myself worry because my ambition was self-centered rather than God-centered. I soon realized that by relying on my own strength, it wasn't going to get me calmly or sanely through it. So I decided to rely on God, our loving Father who never, le- who never leaves us, to provide for me. 
As we heard from Acklin last week, God wants to give us good gifts, but in order to receive them, we have to put down and surrender those things that aren't good for us. For me, that was surrendering my trust in myself and replacing it with trust in God, which allowed me to accept his amazing peace. On the morning of the exam, God did so many things for my friend Tiala and I that we were able to actually smile and feel completely at peace. After spending time with Jesus, my radio alarm turned on to Right Beside You by Sophie B. Hawkins. Although it isn't a worship song, it turning on to the chorus was definitely a great reminder that God is always with me. After that, my shuffle playlist played God of the Hills and Valleys, which gave me peace that whatever grade I got, and no matter whether this moment would be a hill or a valley for me, God is still in control and loves me unconditionally, regardless of my achievements or mistakes. The final solidifier of God's peace was the fact that the verse of the day in the YouVersion Bible app was Philippians 4 verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. As for the exam itself, it went really smoothly and we had peace about it. And I was able to hand in my paper, not caring so much what I got, not due to how I thought the paper went, but because I knew my identity and my confidence lies elsewhere, not in myself, but in Jesus. Hello. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Lucy. (laughs) That's the way to start it, right? I have the enormous privilege of being Hannah and Rachel's mum. So Hannah has asked me to share this because she knows the story. Um, I'm not youth, but the story was while I was youth. Um, When I was about 17, actually, the the age that Hannah is now. Um, I was at school, I was at boarding school, and uh, I had always had a faith as a Christian. And one of my friends, Lucy, another Lucy, uh, was really quite anti-Christian. And she spent the five years I was at boarding school telling me how I was completely wrong, how I shouldn't believe in God, how it was just a crutch. And so I kind of listened to her but didn't listen to her. And I decided I was going to pray for her. And uh, I prayed for her day after day. I kept a prayer diary in the back of my Bible. And uh, I just always prayed for her. And then one day, uh, well, we left school, and she wasn't a Christian. Uh, after quite a lot of years, so this was in 1994, uh, the, the, the particular thing that I'm thinking of. Uh, in 1994, uh, she'd asked to borrow my Bible for an RE homework. Um, and she'd seen my prayer diary in the back of my Bible. And she'd seen her name in there, and she said nothing. But I carried on praying for her. We left school at the end of upper six, and I lost contact with her. In... 2016, 32 years later, I met up with her. I found her again on Facebook after a number of life circumstances. And uh, I caught up with her. I met her, actually. Joe came as well. And she said to me, she said, I really want to apologize. I feel like I was really horrible to you. I told you that you shouldn't be a Christian, and I'm really sorry. She said, I'm a Christian now. (laughs) And she said that one of the defining moments for her was seeing in the back of my Bible that I had prayed for her every single day. So as Hannah said, looking at uh, doing the thing that God asks you to do in a childlike manner and carrying on doing what he's put, put in our hearts to do, you don't always see the bigger picture. I was lucky enough to see the bigger picture at the end of it and see the result of it. And just to encourage you to keep praying for people, to keep doing what God calls you to do, because God knows the bigger picture.
I'm Ellie. Um, so I'm going to be talking about how the gospel changes, how it can change lives and so on. So, so the gospel saves is quite an easy thing to say, but it's quite a hard thing to show or to believe in. How can four small books in one very big book save someone's life? Which is also like, how can this dude in the sky who we've never seen before save us? Well, God gives us signs that he's here by talking to us, giving us prophecies, or showing us pictures. <laughs> um, we know that he's there. But how can those four books do the same? Well, God saves us from messing up when we try ourselves. But he's not going to give an answer to us on a silver platter. Just like that childlike aspect, I can't go and ask my parents to clean my room, because I know that definitely won't happen, unfortunately. (laughs) Um, So we have to find our own way alongside God. So, knowing this, at the start of the year, I decided to try and read all the Gospels. All the way through January, I got through Matthew, and February hit, and I completely forgot. (laughs) Until a couple of weeks ago, and I started again, and on the first day it was super relatable. And I think it's amazing how God just does little things like that, um, just to help you through the day and to show that he's here for us. Anyway, I've continued reading, and I can see how my faith has grown through this. Like in how in Matthew 17:20 it says, Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. And I don't think it literally means you'll be able to move mountains. But I mean, well done if you have. (laughs) But I think it means you can show others the love of God. You can show others the Gospels. And you can change other people's lives just through faith the size of a mustard seed. Now, these aren't mustard seeds, but we have cress seeds. So if anyone would like to come up and we can plant some cress, you can take it away with you to remember this service by... Adults are included, unless you're too cool for this. Thank you. Hi again. So, like I said before, I'm Megan. So far, we have seen how the gospel saves us and how it changes us. In this part, I'll go a bit deeper in sanctification where God moulds us to become more like him, and evangelism, where the gospel reaches others. As soon as we accept Jesus as our saviour, we begin this transformation process of God changing us and our desires to become more like Jesus. This is a lifelong process, and the Holy Spirit is constantly helping us to live in obedience to God's will. However, it is not not a passive process. Now we have our, our new identity as saved, chosen, and reconciled with God. We are no longer enslaved to our sinful desires, but are people who reflect Jesus' character. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17, Paul tells us that if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. Because we are a new people, we will act in a new way. Colossians 3 verse 12 tells us to, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, to clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Here it is made clear that who we are in Jesus impacts what we do. If you think of it like getting dressed, it's our choice to wear the clothes, but it does help if we have them in our wardrobe. 
We have been given the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, but it is our decision to act in them. Because we have the Holy Spirit working in us to make us more like Jesus in our thoughts, our words, and our actions, this is made easier for us. In Isaiah 64, verse 8, we are told that God is our Father and we are the clay, and he is the potter who hands made us all. We can trust the potter to continue the good work he has begun in us until he completes it on the day when Jesus comes again, as explained in Philippians 1, verse 6. This is because in Jeremiah 29, verse 11, God tells us, I know the plans I have for you. I don't plan to hurt you. I plan to give you a a hope and a good future. As we are being changed on the inside to better reflect Jesus, our identity as a new creation in him shines through into our interactions with each other, changing the way that we behave. The people around us might notice this and wonder the reason behind it, giving us the opportunity to share Jesus with them. In Matthew 13, verse 31 to 32, Jesus is teaching the people about God's kingdom by using a parable about a seed, which can encourage us when sharing the gospel with people. I also have friends to help show you it. God's kingdom is like a mustard seed that a man plants in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it grows, it is the largest of all garden plants. It becomes a tree big enough for the birds to come and rest in its branches. As you may have just seen with your crust seeds, when a mustard seed is first planted, you can't really see it. And even if it unfurls and sprouts up, you may struggle to comprehend how that tiny shoot can possibly grow to become one of the biggest garden plants. Yet its story is just beginning and it is still to reach its full potential, like Shauna has been showing. Thank you, Shauna. Sometimes it it feels a similar situation when talking to people about Jesus. We may tell them about how our sin has separated us from God, but that God loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for us so we could be forgiven and live with him, and that Jesus rose from death to defeat the wages of sin itself and how he is coming again one day. We might even bring them to church, but still go home wondering what impact it actually had on them. The fact that there wasn't that miraculous, amazing turnaround that we got hyped up for might just discourage us. However, this story can remind us that growth takes time, and we just have to be patient, plant and water seeds of the gospel, and trust God to do the growing. Earlier in Matthew 13, Jesus tells another seed story, the parable of the sower. Don't worry if you haven't heard it before, because a few verses later, Jesus helpfully explains what it means. So listen to the meaning of that story about the farmer. What about the seed that fell on the path? That is like the people who hear the teaching about God's kingdom, but do not understand it. The evil one comes and takes away what was planted in their hearts. And what about the seed that fell on rocky ground? That is like the people who hear the teaching and quickly and gladly accept it. But they do not let the teaching go deep into their lives. They keep it only a short time. 
But as soon as trouble or persecution comes because of the teaching they have accepted, they give up. And what about the seed that fell among the thorny weeds? That is like the people who hear the teaching, but let the worries of this life and love for money stop it from growing. So it does not produce good fruit in their lives. But what about the seed that fell on the good ground? That is like the people who hear the teaching and understand it. They grow and produce a good crop, sometimes 100 times more, sometimes 60 times more, and sometimes 30 times more. Our job is to scatter seeds of the good news about Jesus, regardless of the place that they land in, and to give everyone, regardless of the hardness of their heart, an opportunity to accept him. If you imagine a sweeping or scattering motion, there isn't really any precision to it. So we don't need to worry about whether the seed will grow or whether that person will accept Jesus. It's also quite a gentle action. Sharing the gospel should be more of a conversation about what Jesus has done for us than this battle for conversion. You don't see gardeners refusing to plant their vegetables in protest that there's a chance that they won't get many crops. Because each seed has the possibility of growing, each seed is scattered. Instead of worrying about the other person's salvation, we can pray about it. As we have already heard from Lucy, prayer is powerful and changes things. We may never find out what impact our sharing the gospel had on someone. John 4 verse 37 tells us that sometimes we may plant one person may plant the good news and another person may reap believers. But don't give up on the seed that you plant that may become a tree for birds to nest in, like our one that we've made today. Don't give up on someone who may go on to impact more people with Jesus because God can use our faithfulness to him. Let's celebrate what Jesus has done for us and how he can work through us to reach others. If anybody wants to respond to what's been said or wants prayer, then we'd love to pray for you and the ministry team will be around.